as we were in, in the manifest season, I felt God wanted to move a little out of the series. It is not my style, but now I, I want to be very obedient to God. So I don't want to be rigid. And I felt God wanted me to move a bit out of the series and do something that will answer questions, some questions in the minds of people. But I don't know whether you are the one that brought that question, but God wants your question to be answered. By the time you leave this place today, you will say, God, I am sorry for complaining. Yeah. Some of you are going to move out of this place and you're going to have a new attitude of thanksgiving to God because you're going to say, God, I'm sorry. I am sorry. I never knew you were doing it. I'm sorry. So today, I'm going to speak on something briefly, which will still link up to our series, but it's not directly in the series. But before I do that, I want us to welcome my senior reverend, Reverend Noble Bidema from the headquarters. When we have Reverend Noble from the headquarters, there's a lot of pressure here. <laughs> uh, this man is a man I love so much. I respect so much. And one thing about him is he encourages like nobody's business. Wow. Like when you are going through your down moments, you never know. You, you don't know, but he's encouraging you. Oh, you are doing well. Oh, you can do it. Oh, like that alone can keep you going. He's, he's a great man and a great man of prayer. And he came with our wonderful brethren from the headquarters, Bright and Mrs. Coleman and... and Wow, Benjamin, and then uh, my darling Juliet, that's Pastor Noble's daughter, and, and, and God bless you so much for coming. Immediately I finish the message, you have something um, briefly from the headquarters for us. We are going to have our major anniversary as the church, all GTP churches, the Feast of Tabernacles. So, it's, 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 so if you see the entourage here, it means it is something amazing, Hallelujah. So I'm going to go straight into the word of God. I know some of you are wondering why we have not taken our offerings and our tithes. We've changed the schedule a little. I told you, when you come to church, don't expect everything to be like, oh, this. sometimes it's just going to shift a little. In a moment, I want you to pray and tell the Lord, put your hand here at where your physical heart is located and tell the Lord, the Lord, speak to me. Let the entrance of your words bring light and understanding unto us. You want to pray the Lord, change the condition of my heart into a good soil. Some have stony hearts, Jesus said. Some have thorny hearts. Some have wayside hearts. Some have good hearts, but even some with a good heart, their good hearts only produce at 30%. And some produce at 60%. And some produce at 100%. Tell the Lord, the Lord, stem my good heart into a good soil that will produce at a hundred percent not just um not just 30 percent and if my heart is not in a good condition change it from a, a stony heart or change it from a thorny heart and change it from a wayside heart and make it a good heart to receive the seed of your word in jesus name thank you father of god speak to us let the entrance of your words bring light and understanding unto us in Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. So I'm going to speak to you on a message I've titled, Just a Matter of Time. Just a Matter of Time. I preached this message at the headquarters under a different title. And I felt God wanted me to preach it here in this season at this moment. Someone asked me a question some time ago and said, Pastor Ima, 
What if you have done everything that you need to do? You have obeyed the word of God. You have moved by the principles of God. You have honored God's desires. You serve God. You do everything. Yet, you are not seeing the fulfillment of what God says he will do in your life. And I paused. And my simple answer to the person was that it's only because the time has not come yet. And sometimes, as we go through our Christian journey, one big question we ask ourselves is, how long? Because you have done everything you need to do. You have sown seeds. You have served in the house of the Lord. You have worked diligently. You've done everything. 101 steps to do this. 7 steps to that. 10 steps. To, you have done everything you need to do. You have prayed. You have labored. Yet you have not seen the promise. And the question you ask yourself is how long? Even the more difficult question is how long is how long? Because there's how long and, and, and you encourage yourself, oh, God will do it. But, but it passes a certain time when you ask God, like, God, how long is your how long? And so today we are going to look at a very important passage where someone went through a situation. A man that by the standards of God, you and I could not even have met his level of faith. But this man went through the process. I want us to turn our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 6, verse 13 to 18. Hebrews 6, 13 to 18 says, For when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely, blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply you. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. I want you to take note of that verse. So after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men indeed swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is for them an end of all dispute. Thus God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise, the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. That's why I told you the message is connected to the hope of glory. Okay, so now, in this passage, we, we see a very interesting story and narrative about the man Abraham. And God gave Abraham some serious promises. In fact, if I was the one that God appeared to and gave these promises, I'd say, wow, what a man I am. He says, surely I will bless you, and in multiplying, I will multiply you. Can you imagine? Surely I will bless you, and multiplying, I will multiply you. Now, this is a word God gave to Abraham at a time that Abraham did not have a child. And God was giving a promise to him that I am going to not just bless you with a child, but I'm going to cause a multiplication of children unto you at an age where it looked very unlikely that this would happen. But God did not just give the promise to Abraham. God actually swore by himself. So I want us to look at the progression of events in this passage. The very first thing we see is that God made a promise to Abraham. That's the very first thing. 
God made what? A promise to Abraham. And the Greek word here, which is a very nice word, maybe you can name your child, Ipanjelo. It means to proclaim. Someone named the child last week, Nikao. So if I, if, I, if I say name your child, Ipanjelo, there's nothing wrong. This word means to proclaim or to announce. Now, the understanding of this word is that when God gave a promise to Abraham, God was making an announcement to Abraham. Now, just like Selena, if Selena is coming to give us an announcement, do you know that practically all of us don't know what she's coming to say? But do you know Selena knows what she's coming to say? So even though Selena is announcing to us, whatever she's saying to us is not news to her. To us, it is news. To her, it is already something that is written down. So when the Bible says that God gave a promise to Abraham, whatever God was saying to Abraham was only an announcement to Abraham of what God had already accomplished. Oh, come on. Whatever God already had accomplished. Can I tell you, people of God, that every promise of God that he releases into your life is not a surprise to him. It is not news to him. It is something that he has established and written down. He's only announcing to you. The reason why the Bible calls it a promise is that when I promise you, it means I am bound to do it. Now, God calls it a promise not because he is bound to do it, but because he has done it. <laughs> uh, Some of you did not get that. Because the only way God is coming to announce to you that Vicky, in the year 2024, you are going to be this and that and that, is because in his timeline for your life, before he ever brought you to this earth, he had written 2024, this and that and that will happen to this particular girl. And so when I am announcing, I am telling them what I have already seen. So when God promises you, it is not that he is now thinking about how to work it out. <laughs> when God promises you, he has already worked it out. So can I tell the people of God, in our language, we say God will do it. In God's language, he says, I have done it. So now when you receive any word from God, read it in the language of God. He has. Oh, come on, people of God. He has. So anytime I'm saying God is going to do this, to God, the language is he has what? Already done it. Can I tell you something in Isaiah 46 verse 9 to 11? He says, remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that are not yet done. Let me just stop there. God says there is no one like him. What he does is that he declares the end from the beginning. In other words, before God starts a thing, he finishes it. So when he finishes it at the beginning of the thing, he declares the end of that thing at the beginning. Can I tell you, your existence on earth and your presence in this church at this moment is an indication that God has finished the story. Because before God ever starts something, he has what? Done it. He has finished it. Can I shock you with one scripture? The Bible says Jesus is the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the earth. In other words, before God started the earth, the sacrifice of Christ had already been made against any sin and mistake that we'll make. So God was not surprised by Adam's sin. God is not surprised by your mistakes because he made provision even before the earth began. Oh, come on, people of God. Everything that God says is a declaration of the end at the beginning. 
So when God told Abraham that I'm going to bless you and multiply you, God said, I've already done it. I've already finished it. He said, saying my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. Calling a bed of prey from the east, the man who executes my counsel from a far country. Indeed, I have spoken it. I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it. I will also do it. This is God's word to you. The second thing we see in that passage in Hebrews is that God swore by himself in making an oath regarding the promise. So, you know, to God, the promise is enough. When God promises us, it's enough. Like, I've promised you, it is done. Because I already finished it before I announced it. But for the sake of your faith, God does not just promise, he swears. For the sake of Abraham's faith, God did not just promise, he swore. Not because he cannot do it. It wasn't for God that he swore. It was for Abraham's faith to know that if God swore, then he actually means it so much. And that is why he has swore. That's why sometimes even with, with, when we're growing up and then something happens and then you say, you, you are telling a lie. Then you say, no, I didn't tell a lie. You say, if, you don't, if you don't say the truth, we'll do this to you. And say, I swore. <laughs> it immediately comes out of the mouth of that person. Because the person is saying that, look, I am telling you that beyond the shadow of a doubt, what you are accusing me of is not true. Now, when God swears, he's giving us a double assurance and a witness to ensure that he stands by his word. So, by God's standards of faithfulness, his promise is enough. But for the sake of your faith, he has an oath to the promise. So in Isaiah 45 verse 23, he says, I have sworn by myself. The word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return. That to me every knee shall bow and every tongue shall take an oath. So God was giving a context. I mean, he was prophesying through Isaiah. But let's look at the truth. The truth is still fundamental across. It says that I have sworn by myself the word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return. In other words, God's swearing was done in righteousness, in, in all justice and fairness. So that even when God decides that he wants to change his mind about the thing that he has said concerning, by virtue of his righteousness, he can't change his mind. He can't what? Change his mind. And it takes us to the third important truth. That God swore by himself because there was no one greater he could swear to. So I can imagine God appearing to Abraham making the promise and then adding an oath and now God has to swear. And in the law courts you swear by an authority that is greater than you because the reason why you are swearing by an authority greater than you is that you are accountable to that authority so that if you go against your word by the authority that you swore by, you can be judged. So recently I was listening to, um, a, a, I think, a radio conversation and, and one man said that, in fact, he thinks all the MPs should swear by the gods. Because he, he thinks that they've taken the Bible for granted. They just go, I swear, I'll do this. When they come, they are corrupt. But they seem to be more afraid of the gods than the Bible. 
Man, the reason why he made that statement is simple truth about swearing. That when I swear, I am accountable to someone higher. So that if I violate my word, that person will hold me accountable. Now, God searched through the whole universe. He searched the earth. He couldn't find anyone. He searched the heavens. He couldn't find anyone. He searched beneath the earth. He couldn't find anyone. He searched the whole universe. He couldn't find anyone. Because there is no one greater than God. So God says, I still have to swear. So he swore by himself. Do you know what it means? God says, I hold myself accountable to myself for you. In other words, anytime God sits in his throne of judgment and, and there's something about you that he has said, anytime there's like, like, like conditions are going in a certain way, God is reminded of himself of the word that he has spoken to you. <laughs> that is why last two weeks I told you that the problem is not with God. If you don't see the manifestation of the things that God has said concerning your life, the problem is not with God. No, it's not with God at all. Because God has ensured that on his side, everything is settled. So he swore by himself. Can you imagine? God says, and, and, and for me, when I read this passage, it shows me the integrity of God. That God says that I can trust myself so much that when I swear by myself, I know that I will not fail. I know that there is no condition on this earth, absolutely nothing that will make me fail. So, so I swear by myself. So bright, I can imagine God sitting on his throne. And then, and then all forms of things are happening in your life. And God has given his word. And, then, and, and it looks like your, your life is going in a different direction. And then in God, because he has sworn by himself, the word reminds him, within him, that you said you would do this for bright. <laughs> can you imagine the word inside God reminds him that you said you would do this for bright then God says it doesn't matter how long it takes I have sworn by myself I am bound by this word I have to do it so sometimes what happens is that because God is bound by his word and the word must still be fulfilled. If you are disobedient and you are not aligned, God still has to let the word be fulfilled. So sometimes you will be pushed out of the way for another person to come because that word must of necessity be fulfilled. So even when Moses was supposed to take the people to the promised land and he dishonored God, God said, I'll still release the word. The people must still get to the promised land. Moses, step aside. Joshua, come inside because the word must be fulfilled. Because when he swears by himself, it is settled. Let's go to, to, to the next one. So Isaiah 46 verse 5. To whom will ye liken me and make me equal and compare me that we should be alike. The next thing that we see in the passage is that God's proof that his counsel or promise is not changeable is his oath of confirmation. So, so in this particular passage we see that aside the fact that God has given us an assurance, God has also given us a signature. So he says that the proof that my promise to you does not change is my oath of confirmation. And this is the best way I can describe it. If you know my handwriting, Pastor Ima, and I write to you, and then you see it, you have no doubt that this is from Pastor Ima. It's my handwriting. But you know, for us never to get to a place where I'll say it is not me. I have to do what? Append my signature because my signature shows that I authenticated what I wrote. Because as for my handwriting, someone can copy it. So I need my signature. That's why 
for every legal document, your signature is needed to authenticate that you are the one that gave permission for that document to be used. And so when God says that my oath of confirmation is the assurance for you, what he's saying is that I've not only written it, I've also appended my signature to it. I've also what appended my signature to it. In other words, what has gone out of God, God says, I'm not going to change it. I can imagine the number of people who have left this earth and that which God said concerning their lives is still hanging. Because as for God, he's not changing the word. But they never saw it. Oh God, why are you doing this to me? God says, I've not changed it. I've written it. But there's something that has to be done. The next thing that, that, and I want us to read this verse. I love this verse. Isaiah 43 verse 13. It says, indeed, before the day was, I am he. Can you imagine? When, when the Bible says, it says, indeed, before the day was, I am he. And there is no one who can deliver out of my hand. I work and who will reverse it? Do you, do you know what God is saying? He says, when I append my signature, what I am telling you is that before the day ever came into being, I am here. So, before the day of the fulfillment of the promise, God was in existence. Now, if God was the one who released the word, and he says he's in existence before the day, then it means that the word that he released was with him before the day ever came. And so God is saying that for me, before you entered tomorrow, I was already in existence before tomorrow with the word to fulfill in your life. And so can you imagine, you are not going to wake up one day and hear bad news that God disappeared. Because before the day ever came, he was the confidence in this scripture is that Ike, if God gave you 70 years to live on this earth, before he ever brought you to this earth, he had walked through every one of the days of the 70 years that you live on this earth before he started the journey for you. So before you ever get to 35, he was there. <laughs> Some of you, it's too big for you. Do you know my confidence of walking into tomorrow is that God already walked into tomorrow before I got into tomorrow. But look at what he says. He says that and there is no one who can deliver out of my hand. I work and who will reverse it? Can I give you breaking news here? That no witch or wizard or incantation from your family can reverse the things that God says he will do concerning you. Some of you are too afraid of witches and wizards. When you are praying every time, I bind the witches, I bind the wizards, I am afraid of the witches. Hey, they are chasing after me. I don't know. I can tell you, the word of God says, I work it and no one can reverse it. My confidence is in this way. God works it and no one can. Look, they can have a meeting with 10,000 witches and wizards. They can slay 1,000 bulls and 10,000 goats and make sacrifices on altar and mention my name 100,000 times. I can give them my pictures on Facebook and add physical pictures and they can go to the altar. But whatever they do cannot work because when he works it, no one can reverse it. No human being. No person. No witch, no wizard, no demon. The devil cannot even reverse it. Even their, their boss cannot reverse it. So those of you who are afraid when you are going to say, you are afraid of your witches. I can't go to my hometown. I can't do this. What authority are you riding on? Why do you make it look like this God that we serve is a small God? He says, I am God and there is no one like me. When 
you are going, go in the confidence that he is God and there is no one like him. So if you are watching your wizard and you are coming, my God is bigger than you. There is no one like him. If at this God said the whole universe could not find anyone to swear to himself, do you think that you can come to his standard? He's in a league all by himself. He says, I work it and no one can reverse it. Because when God appends his signature, you see, for us in this modern day, we might not understand this thing about the oath and then the signature. Because you see, we are in a modern time. But in the olden days, when a king appends his seal on any document, it can't be reversed. He only, if he wants to change it, he has to now write another document to counter that document. But that document, as long as the seal of the king is on, it can't be changed. That is why in the book of Esther, when the king put his seal and sent the decree across, and Esther went to plead with the king, the king said, I can't change. My seal is already on it. I can't change it. So now the king had to issue another decree because whatever the case, the first decree is already standing. So the second decree was to empower the people so that even though the first decree would also go in motion, the second decree would nullify or would be able to stand again. So when God says, I append my seal, it means it can't be changed. Jesus. I just got a whole new revelation here. Let me share it to you in 30 seconds. That under the old covenant, we are condemned. There was a seal that could not be changed. But Jesus Christ, the blood of Jesus brought a whole new covenant and appended a new seal. And that new seal takes effect and preeminence over the old seal. Oh, Jesus. The next thing we see, we see in this passage is that both the promise of God and his oath are immutable. It means that they don't change. They have a common denominator. The promise of God and the oath of God, they are unchangeable. They cannot be altered. They are fixed. They can't be transferred. In fact, that's the, the Greek word means they can't be transferred. So it's just like when I write a check. You know, when I write a check and I say cash, Anyone at all can go with it. But when I write a check and I write in bright gavel, you can go with all your ID cards with the check to the bank. They won't mind you. Because it is not in your name and it is not transferable. So when the Bible says that the promise of God and the oath of God are unchangeable, in fact, the Greek word says that it can't be transferred. In other words, whatever God is saying concerning your life is very much specific to you. And in this specificness to you, it can't be changed. There is no day that God will look at Ike and look at Yima and say, oh, okay, because of what Yima is doing and because of what Ike is doing, let me shift everything from Ike. No, 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 no. No, we all have different things God says he will do. If I choose not to align myself with the will of God, I'll miss out on what God has, but he won't transfer it. He won't change it. In fact, Psalm 33 verse 11 says, The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. The counsel of the Lord, what? It stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Then Hebrews chapter 13 verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The same. Let's go to the very final point here. The final point that the, the writer of Hebrew brings out is that it is impossible for God to lie. <laughs> if there's one thing that the scripture says very clearly, it is that it is impossible for God 
to lie. How many of you have read the scripture and it says that with, with God nothing shall be impossible? With God nothing shall be impossible. But the scripture says that it is impossible for God to lie. I was about to say something, let me not say it. But, but the whole thing that the writer of Hebrews is bringing out is that when God releases a word, there is no way that what he is saying to you is to deceive you or to flatter you or to lie to you. In fact, whenever God says it, he means it. And whatever God says, he means it. Whatever he means, he says it. So the truth is that God cannot lie. It is not in his nature to lie. In fact, when you take God, assuming God was a human being, and you took him and you turned him upside down, you shook him up, upside down, inside, everything, and then you, you, you try to empty him. Do you know everything that will come out of him is truth? You, you can't find a single lie. Like, going to the pocket of God is truth. Going to the armpit of God is truth. Going every, everywhere, it is what? Just truth. So he can't lie. If God, Pastor, if God even decided that he wants to lie today, he can't. No, like, like I, it's not like, like the nature of God cannot permit him to lie. So even if God forced himself to lie, he can't. He can't. Now, people of God, what will God get from lying to you? No. God, before you ever came into existence, he was there. So is it you, this tiny human being? That God does not have anything to do on this earth. So he decides that, Ariki, I want to lie to you so that you serve me. Now, like, what, what will God get from lying to you? So Numbers 23 says, 19 says, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said and will he not do? Or has he spoken and will he not make it good? The Bible says it is impossible for him to lie. Today when you go, just go and remind yourself that it is impossible for him to lie. So now, if you hear all of these important points, I mean, all these things I've said, shouldn't you just jump and say, hooray? Like it is done. Because he has given me a promise. He has given me an oath. He swore by himself. The, the promise and the oath are not changeable. He cannot lie. What else do I need to show that God says he will do what? I mean, everything here shows that it is a done deal. But the question is, why is it that it is not a done deal in reality in your life? That's the big question. Why is it that you have not seen it in manifestation? And there are many, 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 many factors. But I don't want to deal with the many, many factors because today the focus of my message is just one. If it is not your fault and you have done everything you ought to do and you have aligned yourself with the will of God, then can I tell you the simple answer? The verse 15 of that same Hebrews passage that we read, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 15. The Bible says, And so after he had patiently endured he obtained the promise. So, if it is not your fault, and I am not preaching this message, that I, you know, because I'm a teacher, I want to make it clear that I'm not giving you this statement as a sure banker, because some of you are not doing the things God says you should do, yet you are crying. No. But, but if you have done everything 
that you know to do, that God says you should do, and the thing hasn't come to pass, with all of these assurances, can I tell you the reason? It's just a matter of time. It's just a matter of time. So the Bible says that Abraham, after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. In other words, God gave him the promise. He swore to him. He made him know that he cannot lie. He brought him outside. He saw the stars. He saw everything. Everything indicated that Abraham was going to be the father of many nations. Yet, it hadn't happened. But the Bible says, after he endured patiently. What did Abraham endure? He endured the process. Because between the word that God gives to you and the fulfillment of the word is something called process. That is what this generation does not want to hear. We are in a generation that believes that everything must be like popcorn. Even popcorn goes through process. We are in a generation that believes that things should just happen now. I name it, I claim it. I bind it. I receive it. We are in a generation that believes that I can force my way into the promises of God by going to have a 12-hour prayer continuous session that by the end of the 12 hours, God must do it. Uh, and I've heard, I've heard statements like this, by the time we finish this, God must do it. Who, who told you God is bound by it? No, who, who told you? No, God is not moved. You, do you know how many times Moses fasted? Moses fasted 40 days and 40 nights without food and water. Two different occasions. Yet God did not, God did not shift things immediately because Moses had to fast. No, you, you haven't even done 20 days and you are saying God will do it. God must do it. God must do it. Can I tell you people, one of the theologies, false theologies that we have today is that we feel that we can command God. If you've heard any such message, it is false. It is not consistent with the scriptures. You can't command God. You can't tell God what to do. God will do it when he wants to do it. And you can't do anything about it. When God decides to do things in your life, it's because of his mercy. Dispensing his mercy. Not because you, not because you fasted and prayed. No, no, not because you, you've done anything strange or anything. Oh, Pastor, God, I serve God. And after I serve God, even your service to God, if God marks it by a standard, you realize that you have zero over ten. So I serve God and God did it. So when I'm coming, Pastor, one of the things that nowadays I do, when I'm coming, I say, God, I need your mercy. I don't, I prepare very diligently, but Lord, it's not, it's not, I need your mercy. Because if I come here and I'm blank, I prepared, but I'm blank. What am I going to pour? If I come here, I can even talk for 45 minutes. You'll go without anything. So God, I need your mercy so that the people will receive your word. So there's something called process. And you can't force God. Look at Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 to 4. The Bible says, Now the Lord has said to Abraham, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse him who curses you. I'm sure someone will say, God, this should be my promise. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. But look at the final verse. So Abraham departed as the Lord has spoken to him. And Lot went with him. And Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Aram. This is 75 years. That's when God spoke to Abraham. Look at Genesis chapter 21 verse 5. Now Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. 
The first passage tells us that Abraham was what, 75 years when God appeared to him and gave him all of these stupendous promises. Let me use one big word a little. But the Bible tells us in Genesis 21 verse 5 that Abraham's son Isaac was born when Abraham was 100 years old. So from 75 to 100 years old, 25 years of patiently enduring the process in order to obtain the promise. Some of you, you've just waited for God for just six months and you started giving God ultimatum and saying that God, if you don't do it the next six months, I'll stop serving you. Please, good news, you can stop serving God. No, but no, you think that when you tell God, God, I'll start serving, then God will come and beg, oh, Adiki, I beg you so much. Please serve me. If you don't serve me, I don't know what will happen. Whether you serve God or not, he still remains God. Oh, pastor, me, I've prayed, uh, I'm not seeing anything. Pastor, please, if by the close of this year I don't see anything, I'll, I'll, I'll not be in the department again. Okay, please go. Before you ever appeared, God was there. He made you come into being. So what ultimatum are you giving to him? I can imagine God laughing in heaven a lot. Like when you give me an ultimatum, he's like, ha, ha, ha. Look at this, this flea. God actually calls someone in the Bible a flea. Look at this plea. This wall giving me ultimatum. You have not waited for five years and you are complaining. Someone waited for 25 years to see the promise of God. Please, if you have not waited for 25 years, stop making noise. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, if you haven't reached Abraham's 25 years, please stop making noise. When you get to 25 years, come, I'll give you another person who went beyond 25 years. So that we, we can. But let's start, let's start from 25 years. So please, if you have been praying for 10 years and you have not gone to 25 years, please. Shh. Because someone waited for 25 years. But these 25 years, you see, when we read the Bible, it looks like it's just 25 years. It's just some 25. No, no. If I give you the timeline, and I, because of time, I don't want to go. But if I give you the timeline of what happened between Abraham's first encounter at the 75 years and the 25 years, you will open your mouth and be shocked. The things Abraham went through. You see, when we read the Bible, it looks like it's a simple something. Oh, like, oh, Abraham, 25 years. Oh, he just went through 25 years. Oh, God visited him and he had a child. Do you know what he went through from 75? And I'm sure when Abraham told Sarah, what makes me know that Sarah was giving Abraham pressure was when after 11 years, Sarah told Abraham, Charlie, listen, I don't think God wants to do it with you and I. He wants to do it with Hagar. I can imagine the pressure Sarah put on him. Because the Bible says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. So Abraham believed the word but I am sure that the wife put pressure because the word was delaying. That one took them a whole new level, a whole new gender. God said this is not a child. And sometimes some of us, we are not patient enough. So instead of waiting for our Isaac, we go in for our Ishmael. And by the time Isaac comes, Ishmael is fighting Isaac. Some people have rushed ahead of God instead of waiting for the one that God wants them to marry. Oh God, I've waited. I've waited. Oh, this man has come. He's so nice. You get so nice. He's so nice. You get married and then one year you realize he's not nice. <laughs> Meanwhile, Isaac was just around the corner but you could not patiently endure the process. Some of you have been praying for a job. God says, wait, it will come. 
because the right time, the job has to coincide with all the other factors God has. You rush ahead of God. You go and then do all your connections and get a certain job and you're frustrated and the next time they have admitted you in the hospital, they say your heart, whatever, the condition of your heart is not good. You have only some few months to live because you went ahead of God because none of us like waiting. How many of you have realized that when you are standing in the queue, you, you realize you are not patient? When you are standing in the queue, and, you, and especially the people that are ahead of you are very slow. In fact, those of us who drive, you realize your patience is tested when there's traffic and the car ahead of you, about five cars ahead, that car can actually move, but it's very slow. And then like, beep, 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 because we don't like waiting. And we are transposed that same attitude into our relationship with God. So when God gives a word, we expect that it will be an instant miracle. There's nothing like instant. Sometimes God will do it immediately, but most times God will take it through process. Abraham had to endure. And can I give you another breaking news? God has not changed. He did not just do it with Abraham. There are some other people that God did it to. That's why I'm here to tell you that you are not different. <laughs> you know, sometimes we go and we cry, God, why me? Then I'm asking myself, why not you? No, should it be another person? You know, sometimes we go before God and we think like we are that special child. Like, God, that's for me. You've got to treat me differently. Oh, God, you know, me, I'm, I'm so beautiful, Lord. God, I'm so intelligent. God, I'm the one who has been preaching. God, I'm the one who has been leading the worship. God, I'm the one who has been ushering. I'm the one who has been pastoring. No. Whether you are the pastor or you are the usher, we all go through God's process. So look at what God did to Joseph. Joseph received, so I'm going to give you timelines. I'll give you the person, the promise, the process. God gave Joseph dreams about being elevated and bound to by his family. In fact, his dreams were so powerful, Jacob himself was shaken by the dreams. But look at the process. From the pit, to Potiphar's house, to the prison, then to the palace as the prime minister. Process. He had a dream. It took Joseph, according to some biblical commentators, about 17 years before Joseph finally landed in the palace. Moses, he was to be the deliverer of the children of Israel from Egypt. That was the word of God. Look at where Moses started, from the Nile River to Pharaoh's palace, then to Midian for 40 years, then back to Egypt, then to the wilderness, and even he got to the edge of the promised land. Process. Can you imagine God wanted Moses to lead the people of Israel to the wilderness and God knowing the stubbornness of the hearts of the children of Israel that they will need someone who will be meek. So the Bible says Moses was meek above all men on there. God had to take Moses to Midian for 40 years to push all of Egypt out of him. So Moses will lead the people and not kill them on the way. Because just one man who was dealing with an Israelite, Moses did not have the patience. He killed the man instantly and buried him. God says, if I let this guy lead, <laughs> if I let this guy lead my people, <laughs> no, they, they, will not <laughs> they will not last one year in the world, that is. They were such a stubborn people, God had to get Moses for 40 years of training to come back to take care of these people. So that even at the time when God said, let me kill the people and make you a nation, God, Moses said, God, please, I beg you. What will people say about you? So sometimes when God is taking you through that 40 years, it is only because what he's about to do with you is so great. If it doesn't root out certain things out of your life, you will kill yourself before the time. And you will kill other people around you. Yeah. 
Recently, I was telling God, I, I, I know the promise of God, and God says that you, you do this, and, and the things seem to be delaying. And, but recently, something happened, and I said, God, please go on. You, you go on with your training, please. Please go on with your training, because I, I know I'm not ready. You know, sometimes you feel you are ready because you are, like, you are on top of your game. But God says you are not ready. The fact that you see the water boiling on the fire or you see the soup boiling on the fire does not mean the soup is ready. So some of you are boiling. You are, get, 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 give me a platform. Give me a microphone. Give me this. You don't need any platform. You don't need any microphone. You are not ready. You are boiling, but you are not cooked. Yeah. You are boiling, but you are not cooked. David, anointed to be the king of Israel. But look, when the moment they anointed David, look at the process he went through. He went back to serve with the sheep. Because for some of us, if they anointed us as king, immediately there's coup d'etat. The next moment, I am the king. David went back to serve with sheep. He served Saul, the one whom he was supposed to replace as a minstrel. Saul tried to kill him so many times, but David still served. David defeated Goliath. He ran around as a fugitive from Saul. He became king of only two tribes. Then he became king of all Israel. Then when he became king of all Israel, his son Absalom rebelled. He ran away from the throne before finally coming back to regain his kingdom. Do you think this was an easy process? For 13 years, David was running away from Saul. 13 years. Can you imagine you are anointed, you are anointed the king and you are running away. You don't even know what to eat. You have to live in caves and have 400 men who are in debt, who are distressed, who are destitute join you and they are coming to you who needs hope for hope. But when you read in First Chronicles, these same 400 men that came to David and were debt, uh, what, debt ridden, they were destitute and desperate. These men became the mighty men of David who won the battles for David. Because you see, when God is taking you through the process, he's building capacity. No, he's building capacity. So David won battles for Solomon. And the Bible says Solomon had rest around him for 40 years. No one touched Solomon. Because David had strengthened the kingdom. No one dared come near Solomon. So, you know, sometimes what God is taking you through is not even for you. It's for generations after you. It's for your children. You have to fight the battle. So, if you fight a little, now you're tired. If you don't fight it, your children will live to fight it. So, you have to fight it. You have to go through it. You have to go through the process. When God promises, it's not easy. Can I tell you something? God can give you the end of the thing. He will not give you the details. <laughs> Someone will say that, God, why would you give me the details? Some of you, if God gives you the detail, if he shows you the detail right now, you run away. Because when you see the details of what you will go through to get there, you say, God, please, okay, I don't want this promise again. I don't want it again. Yeah. If God told you that in the details you will lose your wife, you will, you will say, God, please, then you hold on to that. Don't, you give it to someone else. I, I, I don't want to. You see, God will not give you the details because if he gives you the details, you run away from the assignment. Yeah. The details can be very horrifying. So God keeps it to his chest. And he begins to unveil it step by step. Can you imagine Aram? I take Aram. I know maybe Aram would go to school and do law. And then I take Aram and I begin to tell her about what your law, what about your law, um, 
models and everything. And I tell that Aram, at a 24, this is what you are going to do. Or maybe Aram is going to do mathematics. Then I bring calculus, university calculus. And I show Aram, at 26, this is what you are going to do. Do you know what I'm doing? I am breaking her spirit before she ever gets there. By the time she gets there, she'll say, please, I want my peace. <laughs> Another person that God gave a promise, Mary, you give birth to the Savior of the world. Look at what happened to Mary. She got pregnant probably in her teens. According to some commentators, it's probably in her teens. She gave birth in a manger. She fled to Egypt, came back to Israel, watched her son to the age 33 and half only to be crucified before her. Can you imagine? God, is this a word you gave to me? God has not changed though. He has not changed. Jesus Christ, let me give him as a final example. He was anointed to preach good tidings to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to save the world. If I was Jesus, the son of God, if these things were written before my time, then when I come, I should just step into glory. But look at what happened. Jesus was born in a manger. He fled to Egypt with his parents because Herod was looking for him to kill him. This is the savior of the world. He's running away. Came back to Israel. He confounded the teachers of the law at the age of 12. But you know what? From the age of 12 to the age of 30, we don't hear anything about Jesus. 18 solid years, Jesus is in the silence. Because whether you are the son of God or you are the son of man, you will go through the process. So you should expect that at the age of 12, when Jesus Christ has finished confounding the teachers of the law, then miracles should start happening, healing the sick. Charlie, I'm on the scene. I'm doing, I got a power. I got, I mean, and, and, and doing, I got a, but 18 solid years, Jesus had to go back into hiding. And the Bible says of him, at the age of 12, when he confounded the priest, and Mary and Joseph found, the Bible says he went with his parents and he was subject to them. Because he needed to come under authority for 18 years so that by the age of 30, he could do in three and a half years what is taking people decades and centuries to do. So sometimes God will take you through a longer process so that you can be effective in a shorter time. You didn't get that one. I said, God, if you want to, however long you want to deal with me, you do it. If all, all that you want me to do on this earth effectively will take only one year, you do all that you want to do in me. Because by the time I finish that one year, I'll depart this earth and they'll say, who was this man who landed on this earth? Because God would have rooted out all the things. At first, I used to have so much confidence in myself. Oh. Pastor, God knows how to humble us. Oh. I used to have confidence in myself because I can pray for hours. By revelation, I can see things. When I take the microphone to preach, God moves. God says, I will take your confidence out of your flesh. God brought me to a place where I realized that I need his mercy every day. Because there was a time that I came to preach and I was nowhere near the word prepared. I was all over the place in my mind and in my emotions. And when I came, God moved. And God told me that I can do it without your preparation. I can do it any way I want. It humbled me. And I said, so if God can do it without my preparation, if I lean on his mercy and I prepare well, then I can imagine what God will do. So some of you, God is rooting your confidence out of yourself. He will take you through a process. Break you. He will break. God, when God is breaking you, he doesn't have mercy. He will break you.
because the end result is more important to him than the process of breaking you. Yeah. He will break you. He will grind you. No, when we're, dealing, when we're doing the series used by God, when I was talking about broken, God will grind you literally into powder. He will, he will and, 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 and you know the thing about God, when he's doing it, he's having fun. Because when God is doing it, he's seeing the result in the process of the breaking. So he's breaking you and you're crying, God, why have you left me? God, why have you left me? God says, I'm here. I've not gone anywhere. I'm here. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God says, God said, look, and that's a whole new message. Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Do you know the reason why God did not mind him? Because Jesus needed to carry the darkness of the world upon his shoulders for the three hours. If God intervened at any time within the three hours, you and I will not be seated here. So for three hours on the cross, there was darkness and God, Jesus, the son of God was God and he, he felt like the father had forsaken him and that's what I call the silence in the darkness. God would be silent but it's because if he comes in the process before the time, the fulfillment of the promise will be jeopardized. So he says, I will hold back and some of you are going through that moment in your life, you feel God has forsaken you. God says, I'm not forsaking you. I'm standing by but if I step in right now, you will not be ready. You will not be ready. I don't know who this word is for. Maybe, maybe the word you are receiving it today, but it's, it's again something that you're about to face. And you might not be ready. But I want to tell you that God is going to take all of us to anyway. Whether I'm the pastor or you are the... Do you know the number of times I've come here to preach faith? And I've preached and you're like, pastor, you blessed us. And I went back and I realized that I was, I was a human being also going through my own process. God says, I will not shield you from it. I'll take you through it. Because there's something greater I want to bet out in you. And can I, can I break this one? I've, I've exceeded my time, but can I break this one? That the greater the glory, the longer the process. The greater the glory. So some of you are like, God, make me great. Please be ready. The moment you say, make me great, be ready. The greater the glory, the longer the process. God will take you through. And I don't know why a lot of us believe that buildings will go through process. When you see a building can, coming up, you see the foundation, you see the, the, the blocks laid, it's going through process. How many of you have ever seen, you just got to a roadside, you didn't see a building, the next day you got there, there was a building. If you see any such building, you should be scared because the next wind, that building will come down. Do you know why, even though you can have all the money in the world to build a building, you can't build a building in one day? It's because you understand that the, even though I have all the resources, I can't bypass the principle of process, structure, and time. So, look, it is not so much about what God can God can do whatever he says he will, but he will not bypass the process, the, the, the principles of process, structure, and time. You will, you will go through it. So when they lay the foundation, they wait for the concrete to cure. Then they lay the blocks. They do this. If you see any building that just that rises up immediately, you, you shouldn't step into that building. It's dangerous. Some of us believe that plants go through process, but we don't believe that we will also go through process. When you put a seed in the soil, do you see the seed just jump up with, as a tree with, with fruits all over? It only happens in cartoons. It doesn't happen in real life. When you put a seed, some of the seeds that you put in the soil, it even takes a longer time 
for them to shoot. You know, if you go and do a concert to find out what's happening in the seed, you destroy the seed. Some of us, that's what we do to the seed of what God is doing. Because you are wondering why it's kept on. You are going and you are fishing it and digging it. You dig it out and you destroy the seed. And there's something called the Chinese bamboo tree. I learned that tree can take about, um, up to I think about nine weeks or so in the soil. You won't see anything shoot up. But it's, what it's doing is that it's growing deep. Then after that nine weeks, it shoots up. In three weeks, it shoots up so tall. But for the nine weeks, you will never know something is happening. You know, even though you don't see anything on the surface, something is happening deep inside. Can I tell you, people of God, some of you, God is dealing with you like the Chinese bamboo tree. Your tears will be turned into joy. Yeah, it will be turned into joy. Your sorrow will be turned into joy. You will be laughing and people will be wondering why. And you can see how God turned your tears into joy. 